I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the weekend review. What TV shows and movies we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, either a main review or a topic of discussion. And then finish up with film faves. Our list of our favorite movies of a particular topic. Sometimes marching backwards through time. In this episode... We had said that we weren't sure what it was going to be because we were going to try to do Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but that didn't open as wide as expected. So we're reviewing Sonic the Hedgehog, the latest video game adaptation. And for film faves, because of that, we will be counting down our favorite video game movies. More on that topic later. But first... It's time for the week in review. Shannon, you haven't really caught up with much this past uh, couple weeks. No, okay. So <laughs> I'm going to talk about a couple things. Before I do, bear with me. I do have a cold. So if I sound a little off, that is why. And I apologize. So while I've had a cold, it's re- prevented me from working as much as I'd like to. So I have been able to watch a couple of things. I watched a 1970s kind of uh, espionage paranoia thriller film called Three Days of the Condor starring Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway and uh, Max von Sydow. It's kind of a twisty, interesting little thriller where basically Robert Redford works for the CIA, but he's like basically a researcher for the CIA. He goes off to lunch, he comes back, and he discovers his entire office and team all were slaughtered while he was away. And one thing leads to another. He's not sure who he can trust, who he can go to for help, or what is going on exactly. And he actually takes in with a random stranger played by Faye Dunaway uh, just to hide out. And ultimately, I would say this is a very interesting and pretty good film. There's only two issues I had with it. One, the score is very dated, very early 70s, very cheesy. And the other is Faye Dunaway's character. I don't know. I haven't read the book that this is based on, which is called Six Days of the Condor. Apparently, they shortened it to three for the movie. But it seems like Faye Dunaway's character is created more for a love interest than anything else you know there is a sex scene and everything it just feels the whole thing feels really gratuitous these days but on the whole the movie is a really kind of cool twisty keep you on your toes thriller plot which is kind of cool and uh it has an unexpected i don't know it has a resolution that isn't exactly what you expect when you watch the first 20 minutes of the movie or what have you so that's a pretty cool one and you can find that on amazon prime do you mean during the 70s because you said during these times like what do you mean in in relation to what the gratuitous sex oh i just don't think like i think at the time it probably worked and played but today i think it's i think you're able to see through it a little more easily oh yeah you know i i think like we as viewers are a little more uh discerning of 
whether or not a character is created for a particular purpose or not, or especially with women characters these days. You know, you and I have talked a lot about uh, female representation and stuff in film. And so with that critical eye, I think it doesn't hold up. That aspect of the movie doesn't hold up that well today. But the rest does. So I recommend it. But an even better movie that I saw, also from the 70s, is Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. If that sounds familiar at all, it's probably because it was remade in 2009, starring Denzel Washington and John Travolta. Have you seen that version? No, I don't believe so. Okay. I hadn't either because, if I remember correctly, it got poor to mixed reviews, but I'd have to research that. This is a really interesting film because it's basically like a group of guys who are dressed the same, mustache, glasses, hat, trench coat. They all take over this subway train, right? With a, and then they take the passengers hostage with a ransom money that they demand from the city and stuff. Well, the city and, and uh, the police. And on the other end of it, you have Walter Matthau, of all people, who works at the headquarters of the sub of New York City subway, and he's kind of the pretty much the main guy who's communicating with the terrorists. I'll say terrorists in quotes, uh, who are played by by the way by uh, largely Robert Shaw, Hector Elizondo, and one other guy who was uh, oh gosh really famous. He was in Psycho and a bunch of older movies. I'm forgetting his name right now. It's really cool. But um, what's interesting about it is you have this average Joe guy and this average Joe situation or average Joe people dealing with an extraordinary situation, right? And it got me thinking while watching. I was like, I don't know if there's any movie before this one with this kind of plot. And we know that there's a lot of movies after taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3 with that kind of plot, the most obvious being Die Hard, right? And certainly much more bombastic and action-heavy film than Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 is. But I, I, I got the impression that maybe this movie was quite influential for the kind of movies to come over the next decade and a half or so. You know, I mean, movie theaters would be lined every year with these kinds of movies about some bad guy taking over or taking host people hostage in some sort of situation and some average guy or a cop or whatever is the only guy who could take care of the situation, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. God, especially in the 90s, right? Passenger 57, Turbulence, all these kinds of things, right? Uh, under Siege. So I thought, like, uh, Pelham 123 was fascinating on that regard. On top of it all, it's just a really solid film, too. I was really impressed. It kind of it downplays things. It's not as like thrilling or action heavy as what people might expect these days from this kind of movie, but as what may be the the core, the granddaddy of, of that kind of thing, it's it's pretty cool. And if anybody knows of a movie that came out before Pound One Two Three of this type, let me know. I would be interested because this is the earliest I can think of of this kind of plot. But I, I recommend. Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 very much, which is also on Amazon 
Prime, and it has a very interesting... Martin Balsam, that's who I was thinking of. Martin Balsam, he was in older movies like Psycho, and he's kind of older in, in this film, too. He plays one of the uh, people hijacking the train. And Jerry Stiller is in it in a non-comedic role. He, uh, the father of Ben Stiller, who a lot of people know from Seinfeld as George Costanza's dad. Anyway, solid film. I highly recommend it. Uh, check it out on Amazon Prime. So, Shanna, you and I have seen one thing together, finally. After all the hype and hoopla around this show has finally come and gone, we managed to finally catch up with the miniseries on HBO called Chernobyl. Why don't you tell everyone about that? Chernobyl stars a couple of awesome people, which I'll let you get into, seeing as how that's your thing. The music is also by the latest Oscar-winning composer, Hilda, whose last name escapes me, but she did the music for Joker. This is happening just before the nuclear plant meltdown, and then also includes trials happening in Russia, uh, because apparently there, were, there was a trial of some kind in Venice, and I assume that was, you know, the world trial. What is that called? I don't know what you call it, but yes, the show um, touches on that. Yeah, Uh, we we don't get to see the one that's happening in Venice. And uh, this is happening in the 80s. The meltdown occurred in 86. Mm -hmm. And I I guess they look between 86 and 87. Yeah, pretty much. I think uh, the first half of 87 is when they have that, that last trial, episode five out of five. Yeah. So it's a really great show. It has some really good talents. There's about three characters that we really focus on. And then there's supporting characters, you know, spread out throughout the five episodes. Uh, Yeah, and it's just a short one. It's five episodes. Each episode is about, I think it's 60 minutes, right? It's just over an hour each. Okay. So that's pretty cool and exciting. I will warn my dog-obsessed friends out there who are just like me. You'll want to watch it with a a person and have episode four at certain parts on mute uh, with subtitles on because it's pretty brutal and it's not worth it, you know? I will also say that this show was thoroughly enjoyable for me otherwise, uh, especially because... I listened to an episode on NPR, Fresh Air, about what all went wrong because it wasn't just one thing that went wrong at this power plant. And they eventually get to it, you know, they figure it out and explain it in the show. But I think it was very helpful for me to listen and research a little before watching this show in order to really appreciate what was happening, when it was happening, especially in episode one. There's a lot of stuff that happens in episode one. And if you know about what happened, you'll be able to, you know, kind of get excited or stressed out with all the characters. I really liked the show. What did you think? Yeah, so I'll speak to the cast real briefly. You had mentioned or alluded to it stars Jared Harris, Stellan Starsgard, and Emma Watson, I believe, as well as Jesse Buckley, kind of a newcomer. She was in a movie called Wild Rose from last year. A couple other faces um, that I recognized but couldn't place names to. You know, I, this movie, the show has a reputation of being incredibly depressing. And 
really tough to get through and all, all that stuff. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but I didn't think it was nearly as depressing as its reputation precedes it. I think it's very fascinating. It is one of those things where you get a better understanding of of what happened with some major event. You It really sells the gravity of the situation. It sells the gravity of what almost happened with the situation because it almost became far more cataclysmic and worse than it actually was. Uh, which in itself was horrible and just just a really bad situation for thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, yeah, dozens of hundreds of thousands. No. Yeah. Um, okay, sure. Yeah, episode four in particular, at least half of the episode is pretty rough. You're right about that episode. Even for me, who's not as sensitive as you are about animals... There's a there's some half of that episode's pretty rough, and it's an element of this whole catastrophe that most people I don't even think really think about or it doesn't even occur to them. It but it just sells how widespread this issue was beyond the people on the scene. Solid solid mini series, and it's a story that just goes to show how one arrogant manager can just lead to. A disastrous environment, let's say. Well, uh, yeah, I think the only thing that bothered me about this film, other than the dog situation, pet situation, was I think there's one scene where Russian is being spoken. Oh, I don't remember. It's it's like one scene and then one scene where I believe, and I could be wrong, this could be a different language, but someone sings in what I believe is Russian at like near the end credits so that's the only really two times that i noticed russian being spoken and i feel like the tv show the americans is really something to to look up to because they do you know half the show is is with the russians and half the show is with the americans and so there's both languages are being spoken and i just really appreciate that although i did enjoy being able to multitask at certain times during the time that we watched this show. Not having to read subtitles, you mean? Yeah. I do remember one where one scene where there's Russian speaking over an intercom or something. Yes, and there's no subtitles to go with it. Right. But it worked because it focused it made you focus on the visuals in that scene. Not what was being said in the background. Hey, that's what I said. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, anything else you want to add about Chernobyl? Um, you will... <laughs> I think it's fun. You will never see the elements of Earth's, like, appear to be so frightening. You know, the wind was frightening. Oh, the yeah. Earth was frightening. The water falling off of the car being washed after being exposed to the radiation yeah. is is terrifying and evil looking <laughs> you know so and and even though the fire that's happening from the meltdown is pretty to look at because there's all these different chemical reactions happening in the air with the oxygen it it's it's the ash that falls is is frightening too so it's a very very unique show in that pers- in in that regard. Yeah, so we highly recommend it if you haven't got up with it yet either. 
So that can be found on HBO now. Again, that is Chernobyl. All right, let's get into the main event now, which is our review of Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm Sonic, a little ball of super energy in an extremely handsome package. On my planet, people were always after my powers. So I came to yours. It gets a little lonely, but that's okay. I am living my best life on Earth. What? Ow! Let the plate Sonic! Let the bitch's mount also Sonic! Ugh, I can't with that guy. out of my garage they're coming for me if they steal my power they could conquer the universe you have to help me no i don't please it's life or death good morning my rural chum mr dr robotnik i'm going to give you five seconds to tell me where it is wait don't hurt him <laughs> road trip this can't be happening to me. Oh my God, stop the car right what? now. What? The world's largest rubber band ball? We gotta see it. No, this is not some fun family road trip. Eh, you're right. It was lame. Gift shop was cool, though. Whatever this creature is, I'm going to uncover the source of its power. Yeah, hey. I just thought you might like a latte with steamed Austrian goat milk. Of course I want a latte. I love the way you make them! We gotta lay low. Let me show you how it's done. Hey, hey. So should we get out of here? Yeah, time to go. I always want to do this. Nailed it! Hey, oh. Uh oh Let's go! Here comes the boom! How are you not dead? I have no idea! Oh! Give me a big fat! That was an illegal left, by the way. Aw, this one is cute. Let's keep him. Oh, come on! You've got car insurance, right? Why would you throw your life away for this silly little alien? Good time. He's my friend. Let's go! This is my power. And I'm using it to protect my friends. So, you're supposed to be Tom's best friend that he won't shut up about. Well, I don't see the appeal. That is very gross. Let's go. And that is from the trailer to Sonic the Hedgehog, the latest video game to be adapted into a movie. So the premise of the film, according to IMDb, is after discovering a small blue fast hedgehog, a small town police officer, played by James Marsden, must help it defeat an evil genius, played by Jim Carrey, who wants to do experiments on it. Ben Schwartz voices Sonic the Hedgehog, and the film also stars Tika Sumter, Adam Pally, and very briefly, Neil McDonough. 
So when we review a film, we first like to look at the good, what we liked about a movie, what worked for us sometimes. It's good to start with the positive before moving to the negative, which is the bad. What didn't work for us? What flaws were there? What sucked about a movie? And then we weigh whether or not the good outweighed the bad and move on to spoilers and final thoughts. So, Shanna, video game adaptations have a rough history dating back to 1993's Super Mario Brothers. Recently, though, there have been some improvements in quality with 2018's Tomb Raider and 2019's Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Does Sonic the Hedgehog lay more in the recent camp of movies or more along lines of video game movies past? And regardless, what was good about the film? I definitely feel like Sonic the Hedgehog falls into the future category. I think that the visual effects were very sound. I thought that the couple of strong elements that make the video game so wonderful were weaved into the movie very well. You had a couple pieces of soundtrack that appeared here and there, uh, which is stuck in my head right now just thinking about it. So, you know, and then characteristics and pieces that make up the character came together really nicely in the film. So I think all in all, it's respectful of the character. So I think it's pretty up there in quality. Okay. What did you think? I think that Sonic the Hedgehog is not a bad movie. It has its flaws, which I'll get into. But more than anything else... It's it's pretty decent. It's all right. There are far worse movies out there. If you've ever seen uh, Dead or Alive or Street Fighter or even Super Mario Brothers, then you know the bar has been set very low. And I think Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, exceeds that bar. It basically amounts to an average quality family film. You know, it's not great. And if it weren't for its ties to a video game, it might even be completely forgotten about years from now. You know? That's fair, yeah. But because of its ties to a video game, it's probably going to be remembered as one of the better and actually quote-unquote good video game movies. Um, Again, it has its issues and its weaknesses. This isn't a great film by any means. But it is a lot of fun. It's quite enjoyable. And I just remembered I have notes on this damn movie. It's a pretty decent adaptation of the game itself. It's it's interesting how... not to, I don't think it spoils anything to establish that Sonic uses these... He, these rings are important to him in the movie. Not because they give him life. As, as in the original game, if you lost your rings and you got hurt again, you died. But, and if you gathered a hundred rings, you got a life. Right. But in the movie, it's more like he needs the rings to be able to move on to another world if where he is becomes too dangerous for him. He ha- He's able to teleport, so to speak, from world to world or universe to universe. And apparently he's been doing that up uh, to the when the, the movie starts. So I thought that was pretty cool. 
It's a good adaptation of him and his powers, his abilities. You know, you see things that you do in the video game come to life in the movie in ways that are well justified, I think. They don't come across as really cheesy or lame or fan servicey. Yeah, and, and it's also a pretty funny movie. There's some humor in it that we could do without, but largely it's it's not that bad. It's 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 not that bad. I have a question for you, and this might be a good segue to the next section of what, what doesn't work for the movie. Do you think that the visuals of Sonic, because there's a big hoopla about how Sonic originally was going to look in the movie, which created a fan outcry, and they changed how Sonic looks to what you see now. Do you think that those visual effects would have mattered in terms of the actual overall quality of the movie? Look, Sonic has a very particular look, and if you're going to mess with that look, whether you're putting him in live action or not, you're, you've lost the character. It's kind of what happened with the Mario Brothers movie. There, there, there wasn't really any visual elements that, that connected the video game to the movie. Oh, but they did get those colorful overalls in the third act. I, I don't remember that because it was so forgettable, but I'm specifically <laughs> talking about like Yoshi, you know, what they did to Yoshi. Right, yeah. Um, and to be quite frank, they shouldn't have made that movie in that time. They should have waited, you know, for now mm. to, to make something. So I think, yes, if they had not changed it, it would have hurt the movie more. Uh, I think how they had him now was pretty decent. His hips look a little off, but... You know, it is what it is. Hmm, okay. And for me, I'm not sure that it would have mattered that much. I'm apparently in the minority here, but I didn't necessarily care how different Sonic looked. I think, you know, they changed him to his more traditional look, and I kind of shrug at it. It's like, okay, that's fine. You know, it works. What I care more about is the detail that's in the CGI. Like his fur looks really, re- looks real. You know, there's some really impressive shots uh, of all these little follicles yeah. on Sonic, you know? Yeah, you got to remember you're dealing with a blue alien creature. You can't mess with it too much. I guess. I guess that's true. And, you know, I don't know. It, it works for me. I think for me, if there's any issues with the movie, it mostly comes down to a script issue and let's talk about what issues we may have had with it what channel was for you the bad what sucked what were the flaws of sonic the hedgehog so the bad was its depiction and representation of female characters there's one female character it's the main character the main human character's uh wife or fiance i'm not really sure played by tika sumter it takes forever when she's on screen for the first time it takes forever for her to get a chance to speak and that is just ridiculous you will know what i'm talking about when you go watch it if you go watch it you will see it it is really backward it it is something out of like a, an 80s or 90s movie you know, so that was that was horribly disappointing. And, and 
what what's even more disappointing is they've made her character a veterinarian and she has to do some stuff to help Sonic. That's And even when that's happening, they barely let her talk too. Huh. You know, when it should be her time to shine, shut up and sit down and listen to the woman. So that that was upsetting. That could have been improved upon and probably wouldn't have taken much time to improve upon. The other bad thing is Jim Carrey. Um, really? Not not his not entirely, but there's a couple moments where he's just a horrible horrible bully. And I'm not saying that is a Dr. Evil? What is his name? What is his Dr. title? Dr. Evil. He's from Austin Powers. I know. It's but, Dr. Robotnik. Okay, Dr. Robotnik. Look, I get it. He's not a nice guy. Okay. But like do we have to be blatant bullies because I'm just thinking of all the kids that are watching and there isn't anything keeping him in check so there isn't a balance doesn't he speak to bullying yeah and then he is the bully that doesn't really help us in society does it hasn't been working for the past few centuries he's also the villain so I don't know what sort of movement forward you're looking for here. the only checking that we get is from the main character when he's I don't even remember what it was but the the way he interacts with him is like, if you're going to be a dick, I'm not going to talk to you kind of thing. I just would have liked it if there was more check-ins, you know, hmm. because he is crazy. Yeah. Anyway, there were just a couple things that I feel like went too far, but that's just me. Like, like we didn't have to push him that far, you know? Well, maybe you could explain yourself better during spoilers on that. I will say... I expected from the trailers in regard to Jim Carrey for him to be a little bit more on the end of the the madcap, just really silly, zany end of his you know performances from the 90s than he is here. I feel like he's bringing a balance of, the, of his character being a villain with a touch of the silly wild ace ventura type behavior not as much as i expected though i expected him to be a lot more slapstick that's the word i was looking for a lot more slapstick and ridiculous than he is in this movie how did that strike you i felt like he wasn't funny enough the bad side of him really threw me off really i wish it was more playful I don't know how to explain it. I see him as this character that would just slit your throat in a children's movie. You know, that's how oh. I see him. I don't think he was that um, dark. I mean, he was pretty dark, Jeff. Uh, like I said, I think there was a little bit of a balance. Uh, maybe but it, it felt like Oliver and Company, the bad guy in Oliver and Company. Oh, Sykes. He's like a really bad guy, mm. you know? So uh, Yeah, I agree with that. But I did expect more silliness, too. Absolutely. Things that actually... Didn't just flat out didn't work for me because I could I could forgive it that and, and it was fine. Is there is some bad dialogue here and there in the script? It's interesting because sometimes I I kind of wish that the screenwriters who were the screenwriters of this thing by the way let's give them proper credit Patrick Casey and Josh Miller. I wish that they had done a little bit less. Some uh, both on the end of some of the the dialogue and some of the jokes, but also there's times when I wish Sonic would emote 
more and speak less. What's going on, you know? Like, I feel like he's talking out his thoughts in certain moments when he could have just expressed exactly what he's thinking or feeling uh, physically. Like, I think he would have deep inner monologue, you know? I don't think he would just say things for the sake of saying them, especially seeing as how, you know, he's been alone. Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree with you. I, I too, would like it if he spoke less and we just sat with some silence in this fast-paced action film. And then, lastly, there's a framing device to this movie where it starts out with Sonic being pursued in a city by Dr. Robotnik. And... For some reason, the script decides it would be a good idea for us to start there and then back up and bring us up to speed with why he's being chased in the city by Dr. Robotnik. Um, which, by the way, is not necessarily the end of the film when that's happening. And all of that feels unnecessary, you know? Like, there's a lot of films that could do that narrative device well. And this is how you do that narrative device poorly. It feels unnecessary. It doesn't add anything to the the storytelling at all. There's no mystery to it of, oh, like, how did we get here? It's a straightforward chase scene. It's like starting the movie The Rock with Nick Cage chasing after Sean Connery in, in, the, in their little car chase. And we're like, hold on, let's back up. How did we get to this point? It just doesn't, it's just not necessary. And it didn't really work. And I think the rest oh, of the movie is just fine. Both of those chase scenes are happening in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, that's right. This movie does take place in San Francisco, doesn't it? Not, not entirely. The chase scenes. Yeah, yeah. The third in San act Francisco. of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Do you have anything else that you want to spit out that was bothered you about the movie america we don't need more fart jokes oh yeah for every one fart joke um, that any other country would use if they decide to touch that america has to do 10 fart jokes you know so why don't we just do one and then it's done two two teams fun just just one you get one yeah, you know, that was part of some of the jokes that just didn't really land. So, you know, these things aside, you know, I think this this could have been a, a much stronger film if they just kind of pulled back a little bit on the script and just kind of did one more pass on it and rewrite it. But, Shanna, would you say the good outweighed the bad or not? Yeah, it's a good time, especially if you're a Sonic fan. Uh, whether that takes the shape of just video game fan or the animated series, I think it's a fun one to go watch. It's good popcorn munching fun. And what would you rate it out of 10? Maybe a 6. I agree. I give it a 6 out of 10. I think there is just enough positive, not just enough good to outweigh the bad in this. There's weaknesses, there's flaws in the film, but it's not a bad film at all. It's a a solid 6 out of 10, go have fun with the family kind of movie. Bring the kids. If you have a video game loving uh, kids, then they'll have a blast with it. Absolutely. 
All right, with that, shall we move on into spoilers? I think there's, uh, for me, there's two things to talk about in spoilers. I don't know if you have anything that you're wanting to talk more about. Yes, let's do it. All right, so if you haven't seen Sonic the Hedgehog, skip ahead on the timestamp to film phase, because uh, from here on out, we're going to talk spoilers for Sonic the Hedgehog starting now. All right. So, was there anything that you said earlier that you want to explain in more detail here in spoilers? Well, I had a thought, but right now I cannot recall what it was. So, why don't you get talking? And if I remember, I'll chat about it. But if I don't, say lovey. All right, fair enough. There's two things I feel like are worth uh, bringing up. Are we doing the bad stuff first? I don't have anything bad, necessarily. Oh, well, I have one good thing. Okay, what's that? I really love that Tails came in at the end. That was one of the two things I was going to That, that was pretty exciting, and I like that Dr. Ro- Robo Bonono. <laughs> Robotnik. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I'm sorry, but I've got the Mr. Roboto song stuck in my head, too, because it's not complicated enough up there in my head. I really like how the chase... Um, and like the final fight between the two of them. I like how that went down. I was very pleased with that, actually. Are you talking and about when they teleported back to Montana or wherever yeah, uh, it was? Yeah. small town? Yeah. And I, I really liked how it ended for him. He ended up on the mushroom planet. Um, which, and he just keeps going. Which to yeah. me, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I saw the whole like, oh, I don't want to go to this mushroom plant this mushroom land as a dig on Super Mario Brothers and the Mushroom Kingdom. Really? I, oh, I, I interpret even... it as, as that, you know? Um, as like, who wants to live in a land of mushrooms? You know? And, and well, isn't like Mario Brothers in a Mushroom Kingdom, the original ones anyway? Well, it certainly doesn't look like that. No, I mean, Mario's yeah. mushrooms are much prettier. Right, obviously, yeah. I mean, that, was, that was the dig I thought was, um, you know, this is what it would really look like kind of thing. Fuck I, you, Mario. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. But um, but uh, to what you're talking about with Robotnik being, first of all, he's in a, a ship with, or sort of a craft type thing, which if I remember correctly in Sonic 1 or 2, Robotnik is in some sort of a thing, and you have to keep hitting him as a spin ball. Yeah, to he's always him. in something that has this really nice dome, like three quarter dome over him. So they really translated the machinery very nicely. Yeah, and the fact that you know, if you, I really wish I had played the game before going to go watch the movie. I did play afterwards, and I realized. They really got a lot of stuff right, especially with, uh, you know, when the chase scene is happening on the freeway. Like, he sends some sort of drone after them. Oh, earlier in the movie. Yeah, and then it gets hit, and it becomes another kind of drone. And then it gets hit again, and it becomes another drone. And maybe again? Is it again? Maybe. Till it becomes this tiny little thing. That was really good, because on some of the levels, you've got these different robots... So it was it was nice that oh, they did that. Oh, you thought that was a call to that? I, I did, in a more modern way, okay. a more up-to-date way. And, you know, Mr. Robotnik is going on and on and on about how technology is more reliable than people, for him personally, given his background. Uh, that was that was pretty cool, you know. There's a, 
there's one moment where he says, and Amazon wants to drop off packages with these kinds of machines. And it's one of the, the drones that has firepower. So oh, it's yeah. like, okay, that's kind of fun, you know? Yeah. But getting back to the end, what you were talking about oh, yes. with Dr. Robotnik. Yeah. So Sonic uh, spinballs him constantly, right? And eventually leads him to teleporting, blasts him to teleporting into the mushroom land. And we cut to him after the plot's resolved. We cut to to Dr. Robotnik being stranded in the mushroom land. And now his his perfectly oiled mustache is kind of frizzed out. Yeah. A, a kind of more like how he is in the in the cartoon yeah, or in so the video game. It's a nice little evolution. It's good that he didn't start like that. Right. Right. And he appears to be stranded in the mushroom land. I can't remember what he was, um, what he was doing there in that that scene. Oh, you? he was figuring shit out, like how to survive, and he was talking to the mushrooms as if they were people, because okay. he wasn't treating them very well. So gotcha. Um, and he was basically sca- scavenging. He made a rock his pet. Oh. And keeps throwing it from one mushroom to another. That's so. right, yeah. And he said, oh, you'll see me this Christmas. Yeah. So I don't know if that's this Christmas or next Christmas, because it feels like they might want to do another film. Yeah, that was a weird comment. And he, he looked at the camera Yeah. when he said that, too. So. so then it cuts to credits, and then after half of the credits, you get a scene, right? And this is the scene you're talking about with... Tails appearing. Trying to find Sonic, yeah. Looking for Sonic, yes. Because Sonic, I, you know, I can't remember precisely, but in the animated series, Sonic has a sister, and then I believe Tails is his cousin, and I, I can't remember how Knuckles features in, but we see Knuckles' species. Early in the movie. Early in the movie, after him. Which so. is pretty cool. Yeah, but the but the crowd erupted once they saw Tails. I mean, I erupted because <laughs> I like Tails. Yeah. Yeah. So, fingers crossed there. Um, I think people... I think there there is a demand for a sequel. There's a there's an interest in a sequel. But then they have to tales. do it better. They have to do it better. You know, have better female representation. <laughs> and throw in the LGBTQ people, like... I'm not sure, like, from a plot perspective, what they could do to check those boxes. There are always background characters that you can help balance out the film with. Okay. Okay. Anything else you want to add about uh, the movie? Any spoiler topics that you wanted to touch on? I can't think of anything right now. Yeah, I think that's about it for us on Sonic the Hedgehog. But what did you think of the movie? Did it meet your expectations? Is it one of the better video game movies in your estimation? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. And now it's time for Film Faves. Film Faves is a part of the podcast inspired by a segment that used to be on the Gibson Review, wherein I would count down my 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Chose 12 because everybody's doing 5 or 10 with honorable mentions, and 12 seem like a good solid number of no honorable mentions. These are it. These are the favorites, period. I mean, they're kind of honorable mentions. But they're part of the list. So, it's 12. A dozen movies. Okay, okay. And usually we have our respective lists. 
Now, part of the idea is to give a kind of an idea of what our tastes in movies are, and also to kind of expose people to titles they may not have heard of before. To that end, we do try to point you in the direction of streaming subscriptions that movies may be available on right now to check out. We include Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Now, and Disney Plus, as far as that goes. Most movies, believe it or not, are not available on streaming services, though. Those are subscription services. But you can rent a large amount of them on Amazon. So just keep that in mind. We will bring to attention a movie that is on one of those services, those subscription services, when the time comes. But for this, this list, video favorite video game movies. So first of all, there's not a lot of video game movies out there that we could claim as favorites, let alone a lot out there that are any good. So what we decided to do initially was open it up to movies about video games and movies that are like video games. So movies about video games. The movie may have a video game in it. The characters may exist in a video game. It may be a documentary about video games. Movies that are like video games. Maybe it has a first-person perspective to it uh, where characters will live and will die and then be revived or you know they'll have um this run and gun type aspect to it you know whatever so we open it up to that kind of perspective then then we got together and compared our list and discovered we almost had the exact same list just different arrangements so we in for this particular film faves we combined our list into one so what we will present to you is our favorite video game movies all right so there's eight movies that are ones that we have in common and then there's four individual picks that we will trade off in talking about and shanna's going to kick us off with number 12 which was one of her original picks so number 12 is prince of persia sands of time and You'd think this would be available on Disney Plus, but it is not yet there. Why do you think it would be available on Disney Plus? Because it said it's a Disney movie. It is a Disney movie. Good for people to know. Okay, great. I'm just assuming people know what the fuck I'm talking about. All right. I was a fan of the visuals in this movie. Uh, There's time travel happening, which you guys know is my weakness. Uh, Of course, there is whitewashing, which I'm not a fan of. But You're not a fan of whitewashing? It's good to mention that that is a thing in this film. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Jake Gyllenhaal is, is not of Persian descent in any shape or form. He is not. So, <laughs> and they try to justify it in the movie. Uh, no. No. Yeah. No. Not. No. Anyway. So I, I'm quite fond of the visuals. I, was, I wasn't I was into video games for a while in my life. And then when I saw that, I actually wanted to play the computer game. And I don't know which version it was. We're still researching and trying to figure that out. My brother will probably know. but Of which game um, that was. Of which game that was. Yeah. But uh, still, the visuals are my favorite part of that. Yeah, I actually reviewed that movie when it came out in June of 2010, it looks like. Did you tear it to shreds? 
You know, I was actually quite favorable of it. I gave, I, the, the headline was Prince of Persia, King of its Genre. Because at that point, while it was not great and it had its issues, it was, in my estimation, the best of the video game movies that had been made. I don't think that's the case today because I think we've, we've made some improvements since then. But yeah, it's a fun movie. I just wish that they hadn't messed around with the shots or the editing of the, the fight choreography because that's one of the joys of what is one of my favorite video games of all time, Prince of Persia Sands of Time. So is a is a fun one if you can find it. Our 11th favorite video game movie is a really perfect example of a movie that is like a video game. It is Crank, starring Jason Statham. I believe, if I remember correctly, this He's movie... got a cheat for laughs. <laughs> yeah, if I remember correctly, this movie even, like, starts with a, like, a, a 16-bit version of him or something. Yeah, the starts or ends with, <laughs> uh, with that. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No, but that sounds about right. Something like that. I mean, this is a guy who, the whole premise is he needs to keep his heart going, right? He needs to basically keep having adrenaline pumped to him. Be it like being uh, (laughs) electrocuted, taking, (laughs) I think it's this one, that he takes a car battery and what do you call those charging cables and put prongs put some one to his ton oh to jumpstart his heart you know all that sorts of things. he has to keep going and all this sort of stuff otherwise you know if his heart slows to a normal pace apparently it'll he'll die and so as such like he it's almost like he has all these different lives you know or power-ups even and if i remember correctly well i won't i won't spoil the end of the movie but it is very much along the same lines of of how a video game character works the mechanics of a video game character works Mm. and it leads into the sequel crank 2 high voltage which is even more ridiculous than the first one i don't think i've seen number two Oh, it's I'm not as big a fan of it, but if you like this kind of absurd adrenaline junky fun, then you'll probably enjoy it too. Uh, but Crank is a blast, and I think it's still one of Jason Statham's best roles and best films. I like how he tries to be this character in Spy. Oh, sort of, <laughs> yeah, know? sort of. All right, Shannon, why don't you tell us about number. 10 movie which is on disney plus oh good because it would be really weird if it wasn't so my you know our number 10 is tron legacy available on disney plus and that's the set the the sequel to the original uh it's got jeff bridges in it which is very exciting i love the music in this i love how everything is basically shot in the dark and there, you know, there's some interesting cinematography techniques in there, and I'm pretty fond of it. And yeah, it's a fun one. I'll see if I can link my 2010 uh, review of this film also. Uh, it is absolutely visually stunning film, and I haven't seen it since because I think it was intended to be seen in 3D. Did you see it in 3D? Do you remember? No, I I don't think my brother and I watched it, and I don't think that we did that. Okay. I remember vaguely it being really cool in 3D, but I don't know 
in hindsight how necessary that is, even though it's how the filmmaker intended it and all that sort of stuff. I feel like the best use of this film would be to make a ride at Disneyland or something and like you'd have wind blow through your hair or something and you'd hear the vroom sounds sure. of the motorbikes going by. Yeah, yeah. Worth noting, uh, director of Booksmart, Olivia Wilde, stars in Tron Legacy also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright, number nine on our list was one that was originally number one on mine. It is Edge of Tomorrow. Another movie that is like a video game in that this character it's you know one of those action sci-fi alien apocalyptic type type of stories you know and your character has multiple lives where he can he can start <laughs> over and yeah if he doesn't do it right the first time he can just kill himself <laughs> ex- or or be killed and all that sort of stuff yeah and this is one of those movies that i probably have talked to death it probably needs to be in the penalty box i think I mentioned it on more than one occasion on lists last year. And I feel like something recently, too. Maybe yeah. our favorite movies of the decade or something like that. So if yeah. you listen to those episodes, you shouldn't be surprised that I found a way to get this one on this list as well. But it's Emily Blunt, Tom Cruise, one of the best sci-fi films of the last 10 years. Uh, just an absolute fun awesome ride tom cruise plays a uh you know a military captain or whatever who like to be in the safe you know headquarters type thing where he never had to worry about being in any real danger and he finds himself all of a sudden in the front lines and uh he unlocks the secret to defeating an aggressive alien invasion well with the help of emily blunt's character thank you very much well, correct. I was thinking in terms of what actually happens to him that helps unlock that secret. But yes, she is extremely crucial to getting him the training he needs to be able to su- succeed in his mission. She's a badass is what, what we're saying. Anyway, Edge of Tomorrow. That's our number nine favorite video game movie. Shannon, why don't you tell them about our number eight pick? Our number eight is Sonic the Hedgehog, because after all, it's not as shit as Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> the translation of this blue alien creature into live action is just as fun as something as cool as Roger Rabbit. The fighting techniques and defeating of the villain is probably the best scene that you'll see. And, you know, the opening scene of seeing him run around those loops are quite spectacular on the big screen. Number seven is a film that surprised me quite a bit last year. Again, not without its issues, but pretty darn good. Pokemon Detective Pikachu, available on HBO now. Ryan Reynolds provides the voice to Pikachu. It's a great casting, inspired casting uh, choice that adds quite a bit of spice to what could have been a fairly benign character or a very dull character otherwise the justification of ryan reynolds voice doesn't make sense in the end it makes but, sense to me oh rewatch that <laughs> ending because it's weird but yeah justice smith is really good in it and i think if you are a pokemon fan this is like pokemon catnip with all the different visual references all the different you know i mean it's just a world where pokemon coexist with humans 
and it's a pretty well-realized world in that sense, uh, with this central story, too, that involves directly a couple specific Pokemon. So, actually pretty fun, pretty decent uh, video game adaptation, and uh, we recommend it. If you haven't seen it, it's on HBO now. Our number six is Mortal Kombat. Oh, man. Man. I don't remember how the tune goes, but it's very like... I was, yeah, I was literally about to see it, but then I was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> I can't remember Because I get it, it mixed up with other ones, yeah, you know? Exactly. But it... Look, I think I think this movie is not the best movie, but I think if you played the video games as a kid, like when this movie came out, it was very fucking exciting. Yep. And I think I was maybe eight or ten somewhere around there when it came out. Came out in ninety five. So yeah, so like eight. Yeah. And I just remember thinking this is so freaking cool. And there was even a girl character that could fight, which was exciting yeah. yeah, um, and we got to see Scorpio and Frieza McPhee. Sub Zero, Sub Zero. Yeah, Scorpion I, and Sub Zero. Yeah. yeah, that's Scorpio and Freezy McPhee. <laughs> that's funny. Well, look, I mean, like we've got Frozen, we've got Doctor Freeze, and then Sub Zero. I get them confused. Anyway, so really fun. The the ending seemed to promise a sequel, didn't it? And there was a sequel. Oh wait, there was. And it was horrible. Oh shit. Horrible. Oh man. Let me just say that this movie was, for a while, the crown jewel of video game movies, even though there's some pretty bad elements to it, including the CGI of, oh god, what's his name, Reptile? So bad today. Looks like your first pass at a CGI character now, you know? Something that a kid in yeah, grade or, three could do. Or someone grade. who's in Animation University, you know, they just made their it's first their model. First one, yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's so bad. But there's, it's just so awesome. The movie's kind of badass. And that, I mean, that opening shout with the with the icon and everything and the, and the <laughs> score, the it like score. It just totally pumps you up. Oh, totally. Oh, it's, my gosh. It's just one of those feel like. Not like feel good, but like, oh my god, they turned the video game into a movie. Ah! Yeah, and even more interesting, they kind of took elements of Bruce Lee's film Enter the Dragon in order to build their plot around this, mm. you know, very thin, really you know, weird two-player fight, fighting game. So yeah. the fact that they made a, ga- a movie out of a fighting game itself was impressive. So anyway, Mortal Kombat is awesome. Our next favorite video game movie is a movie about video games it's the last starfighter from 1984 a lovely nearly forgotten gem about a boy a teenager who loves playing this arcade video game in his mobile home park and one day he discovers that video game is actually a recruitment tool for an intergalactic battle I mean, I always used to fantasize that puzzle games were a recruitment tool. I don't know what for, like a special <laughs> school where you learn by, via video games. <laughs> so I love this concept. I, I showed this to you, correct? Yeah, like a year ago. Had you heard of it before? No. Okay. So fairly obscure movie to say, yeah? At this yeah, point. I don't think a lot of people know about it, yeah. right? No, I, I don't think so at or this point. Or have retained memory of it. Right, exactly. Only people my age or a little bit older 
probably have fondness for this film. Robert Preston stars as the recruiter. He's probably the only recognizable face in the whole movie. Yeah, and it's not, it's not a bad film, you know. Oh, it's got a no. pretty good storyline and... And the it's creature... actually the character is pre- the main character is pretty complex too. He's got a lot going on. And the the alien effects, the makeup effects are original too. They kind of stand out from you know a, a field of Star Treks and Star Wars and everything. Yeah. It manages to be unique in its alien. Uh, I can't remember who the main bad guy was. Oh, who was you, that actor? Uh, I don't know about the actor at all. Oh. But he, he was a dick, basically. Well, duh. <laughs> you know. It's a bad guy. Yeah, anyway, Last Starfighter. There's were, Apparently, the original writer and director is trying to make a sequel. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I hope that's not in development hell. I hope that's actually making progress. Because I could see a whole like franchise, like this being either remade or having a sequel of a whole new generation yeah. and it be like a trilogy or something this is a pro and then like the old starfighter could come back kind of like how they yeah. do it in body snatches you know <laughs> okay <laughs> all right well better you know like he's a commander now or something yeah yeah absolutely yeah so uh that's the last starfighter shannon what is our number four our fourth favorite video game movie our number four is tomb raider oh which one you ask 2018 thank you that's the one not the one where you see every curve because latex is apparently something women wear if they're doing adventures in the amazon or wherever the fucking hell like no you have cargo pants that's how you do things anyway this one is really good i like the who she is She's a little more complex than the Angelina Jolie character. I think that things look more practical in this movie compared to the other. I like the the villains in this one. And I, I don't know. Are they getting a sequel? Because it looked like they could. They totally could. I have no idea if that's actually mm. happening. Uh, but yes, you're right. Alicia Vikander, someone I wouldn't have normally cast as. Laura Croft is really good. And this is a movie I've been hankering to rewatch quite some time but it's hard to find because it's never on a subscription streaming service but far better than the simon west 2001 and 2003 films i believe they were with starring angelina jolie which are movies i really want to like because angelina jolie is a badass but they're just bad yeah here's the thing like that is so male gazy. That's true. And what's yep. unfortunate is like when Mortal Kombat came out, I was like, oh yeah, they included woman. This is fantastic. And then I was like, hey, a woman led video game movie. This is going to be great. And I was like, oh, I want to throw up in my mouth now. What? You didn't love the gratuitous shower scene where you got a, a side profile of Angelina Jolie naked? That didn't speak to you? I'm going to smack you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree. Those things have not held up well at all. But this one is awesome and actually makes her a character and a person. So our third favorite video game movie of all time is, again, a movie about video games, sort of, or about a video game, uh, not an adaptation, is Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. First of all, if somehow this damn board game evolved into a video game, whatever. That's a bunch of nonsense. But it, you, it, it has to survive. It's well, a virus. Good God, whatever. If you can get past the nonsense, you can have a lot of fun with this. With uh, Karen Gillan, Dwayne Johnson, and Kevin Hart. 
they are the avatars in a uh, Sega Genesis-like video game, which is really funny. Where it was in 2017, and we're working with a Sega Genesis-like video game. That's what it evolves to—a 32-bit <laughs> video game. They're okay, trying to—they're trying to get all the people, all uh-huh. the people. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I can't remember who the uh, teenagers were that got sucked into this video game, but hilarity ensued and it was actual hilarity in this and uh it works it works it's it's a quasi sequel to the original 1995 robin williams uh film as you will see we have not seen the holiday release sequel what was it called the next level we have not caught up with that yet but but this one we can speak to and it is quite a bit of fun if you have not caught up with it yourself do so. Shanna, what is our second favorite video game movie? Our second favorite is Wreck-It Ralph from Disney+. Plus. On the, yes, absolutely, yeah. on Disney+. Plus, A movie <laughs> about a video game yeah. character. Uh, including other various video game cameos. We get to see... Q- is it Qbert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see a couple of other guys uh, who's... N- I'm, it's escaping I think M. Right Bison now. shows up. Bowser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bowser walks by. <laughs> I think he's in the villain therapy group. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. I really like this movie. I I like seeing video games. I like that they they got really technical with it. They included terminology and they practically executed it like glitch, you know. And they include the high scores and they. I love the group therapy scene. Uh-huh. You know, there's there's a. A Toy Story short where it's essentially thrown discarded McDonald toys therapy session. And I just love when we're like humanizing everything and it's like, and we're also going to take care of it in a responsible way via therapy, you know? And like, I I love that record, Rolf. Like, I love it that Rolf is like, he has the, he doesn't want to be who he's been programmed to be. And I just love it. And I love, I think my favorite part, though, of that whole film is Jane Lynch. And how, oh. like, how she just loves who she's been coded to be. I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> like, such a fighter, you know, I love it. John C. Riley stars as Ralph. And... What a good voice. Yeah, Sarah Silverman is also in that. Vanellope. Vanellope. Yes, Oh, I almost uh, gave away a spoiler there. <laughs> and a uh, really great guy from 30 Rock, whose name escapes me, also stars as Fix as It Felix. Felix. Oh, he even looks like Fix It Felix. It's kind of it's funny. That, it's that guy, right? Yeah, I forget oh his name all of a sudden. It well, just slipped my mind. And I know that the sequel didn't make it to our list, but even the sequel, the direction that they move in with that one is mm-hmm. really good, too. It is. I didn't qualify it for my uh, in the individual list at first because I saw it more about being the internet than about video games. Yeah, it's kind of this transition, and it's also interesting, you know, how one game e- evolves to another game, and how these characters continue to be be more human yeah. and desire certain things. That's true. That's true. All right. So our favorite video game movie is... Drum roll, please. Not an adaptation. Sorry. But another movie with video game qualities to it. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, available on Netflix. Uh, This movie is really kind of awesome. Okay, so you have 
this guy who has to deal with his, his love interest's baggage, right? Her emotional baggage, i.e. her ex-girl, not girlfriends, her ex-boyfriends. Largely, there is an ex-girlfriend. But how is that visualized? It's visualized in the metaphor of video games with like different bosses that you have to fight, right? Or even fighting video games, you know? How he has to, um, in particular, one, one in particular, right? What was his name? Patel, I think? The first ex that he has to fight? The vegan? No, 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 oh. no. The first one. Vegan one was, was Brandon Routh. I can't remember his character's name, but he, he was basically poking fun at his Superman persona. But um, mm. the first guy was on stage. There was this fight on stage at the, at the concert, and he had, like, these visuals that popped up of these, like, weaned creatures. Do you remember what I'm talking about? And he had, like, a Bollywood vibe. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really fun taking everything that we know about video games and including them into this film. Like, mm-hmm. didn't he collect a food item and his health got better? Yes, but also whenever he defeated an ex, they would explode into coins, yes. right? Oh, would, so brilliant. And he would collect coins. Oh, maybe I could ride the bus now, you know, whatever. But uh, it's just really brilliant visuals, video game visuals, utilized in this otherwise very emotional story about growing up and maturing and kind of being becoming less self-absorbed and taking other people's feelings into consideration so scott pilgrim versus the world does it for us that is our number one favorite video game movie and that is on netflix but what are your favorite video game movies movies about video games movies like video games, feel free to email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Shanna, that's going to about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Before we talk about the next episode, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? You can find me politely at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography on Instagram. Cool. Go to Instagram, the social media, uh, slash the Gibson 99 to find me. And so I have polls there on the Instagram story of what your favorite movies are. You might be able to find a poll there right now of your favorite video game movies that you can vote on. Go to Facebook slash the Gibson Review. For third-party links and uh, other links related to the Gibson Review, that will link you to the main site, thegibsonreview.com. You'll find past articles, other episodes of The Movie Lovers, the best of the 2010s articles, all sorts of things there. And you can find this podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe or leave reviews whenever possible. So that way more movie lovers can find us and find me on Flickchart, also using the handle TheGibson99 to see how I am following all 3,000, I think 3,500 movies I have seen at this point um, as I'm going through my preparations for each episode and going through the year. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we will be reviewing in our main event Pixar's latest effort, Onward. 
Will that measure up to Pixar's best? Will it be emotional? Will it be meh? We'll find out. Also, Film Faves is picking back up into the, you know, going backwards through time kind of thing. And we're looking at the 70s. Was the 70s a great uh, decade for animation? Who knows? <laughs> we'll talk about that and see if any uh, animated movies from that decade hits our favorites list. And also talk a little bit more about why we're doing the entire decade of the 70s. Then, keep an eye out for that on March 17th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.